Well, hello, everybody. Hello and welcome. Welcome to Essex Church, where this community of Kensington Unitarians meets for worship each week, along with assorted other activities on the weekdays. Ours is a community created by all those who walk through our doors. So whether you are new to this place or visit here when time allows, or perhaps you're someone for whom this congregation has become one of the foundation stones of your spiritual life, all, all of you are welcome here. <coughs> Whoever you are, whatever you are, however you are, know that this is a place in which you can be yourself. And this next hour, I hope, will be an opportunity to explore, a chance to rest, perhaps, a chance to connect with yourself, with one another, and with your God and all that you hold to be divine. I welcomed you all, but it gives me special pleasure today to particularly welcome uh, the Reverend Liz Bertles to be with us. Liz was at one time minister with our Croydon congregation and now is one of the founder members, along with uh, Rita and Peter, of the Bangor Fellowship. Uh, it's lovely to have you all here today. So welcome to all visitors. We light this chance as a symbol of our worldwide liberal faith. Its flame connects us with perhaps 10,000 other congregations in countries around the world. May it remind us of the bravery of those who came before us willing to risk their livelihoods and even their lives that others might worship in freedom unconstrained. May the power of their faith inspire us now. I wonder, can you remember learning to read and write. They're apparently very different learning processes and how we experience that learning process is very much to do with how the many parts of our brain involved in, in reading and writing, how those parts of the brain are connected. I loved learning to read. My memories of it are of a dawning realisation of how liberating reading could be. Learning to write, on the other hand, felt a thoroughly laborious, painstaking process because simply holding a pencil firmly enough can be a challenge to a young child's hand. And I was luckier than my two left-handed brothers who struggled with teachers who thought that being left-handed was not acceptable. Our relationship with reading and writing will have been shaped by our early experiences and be that for good or for ill. And as I've crafted this service around the theme of writing, 
writing things down, it felt important to acknowledge the pain as well as the pleasure of the process of writing. So if you are someone who has struggled and continues to struggle with dyslexia, for example, my hope is that in adult life you've found ways to access the pleasure of the written word and world, ways to express yourself that work for you. Because writing is a way to express ourselves, to let the world know something of who we are. And this is well described, I think, in this short story of the Sufi holy fool, Mullah Nasruddin, who had, it is said, one day invited a well-known philosopher round to his house for conversation of an intellectual nature. The philosopher arrived at Nasruddin's house at the time they had agreed, only to find that no one was at home to greet him. Nasruddin had forgotten their appointment and was in the local tea house playing games and telling stories with his friends. Well, after waiting some time, the philosopher grew angry. Picking up a piece of chalk, he wrote stupid oaf on Nasruddin's door and left in a huff. As soon as he got home and saw this on his door, Nasruddin rushed round to the philosopher's house. I'd completely forgotten our appointment, he said, and I do apologise for not being at home. Of course, I remembered the appointment as soon as I saw that you'd left your name on my door. <laughs> if you look on your order of service sheet, um, this next section says part two, a brief history of writing and taking your clothes off in the British Museum. I've put a bit about taking your clothes off because I wanted to keep you awake. Because this part two is the longest section of the service. It's not easy to tell a brief history of writing in just a few words. So, so yes, the, this is the longest section. I wonder if any of you heard the um, series on Radio 4 a couple of years ago called The History of the World and 100 Objects. I have the evidence here. This weighty tome is the written version of it. it. It was written and narrated by Neil McGregor, the director of the British Museum. It's a sweeping history of the world told through the history of just these 100 carefully chosen objects all held by the British Museum. Um, in, in this series and in the book, you can read the history of writing. Isn't it intriguing to think of a time when nothing was written down? Prehistory, as it's known, because it was before the time when human beings were able to write their historical records. A group of us, I don't know how many are here today, a group of us, the, the Avebury Stone Circle Visiting Group, a group of us braved um, the elements on uh, Friday and went on a day trip to the Stone Circles of Avebury. I think we'd all recommend it, although have a look at the weather forecast and uh, dress accordingly. Yeah, we stood by those ancient stones and our guide reminded us that most of what she was about to tell us was mere conjecture because the people who first erected the hundreds of stones at Avebury, both in circles and in long avenues, they had no writing. They left no written records. And we then have to piece together an idea of who they were and what was important to them from just what they've left behind. And 
sadly, most of what they left behind has vanished in the mists of time because it's rotted away. And what remains are the hard things, the stones, the flint axe heads, the bones, the bits of pottery. Now, much of the building work at Avery was happening around 3,500 BCE, before the Common Era. Um, And around that time, in at least four distinct parts of the world, a few people were starting to write. In Mesopotamia, now in Iraq, in China, in Egypt, and Central America. And the earliest forms of writing, as you'll know, were pictograms, where a shape reflects what it's meant to represent. And as Neil McGregor explains, earliest writing, it wasn't literature. No, it was bureaucracy. It was record-keeping. This was a time before money. And so these early pieces of writing were all about keeping these new city-states, these societies, functioning efficiently. It's said to be the earliest signs of a civil service developing. One of the earliest stone tablets kept by the British Museum, for example, and an example of this is on the front of the Order of Service sheet, that's just a record of the amount of beer given to workers as wages in Mesopotamia. So then the next stage of development was to move from pictograms to phonetic symbols, signs to represent sounds. Just imagine for a moment how exciting that process of creating written language must have been for the scribes themselves. So no wonder then that for thousands of years, scribes were the people with power and prestige. And when writing becomes part of human culture, of course it enables us to deepen, deepen our creativity and deepen the complexity of our thinking. Without writing, it's likely that we would not have been able to actually create complex societies and governments or money or higher mathematics or philosophy or theology. That's what in a way brings us together, doesn't it? Now our order of service mentions this taking off of clothes in the British Museum. Let me tell you that story. We humans didn't need writing to develop storytelling for that was already an ancient oral tradition. But around 3,000 BCE, scribes started to write these ancient stories down, and literature began. The very first written story is now thought to be the Epic of Gilgamesh, which includes reference to a great flood. And the clay tablet, which has this story written on it, is in the British Museum. And in the Victorian era, nobody was able to read it. Nobody, that is, until one George Smith took an interest in the clay tablets. So intrigued was he by them that he eventually managed to decipher the cuneiform script that had been made by a reed wedge pressed into damp clay. Now that a Hebrew biblical story should already have been told on a Mesopotamian clay tablet probably doesn't mean much to us today. But in the Victorian times, this was an astounding discovery, as Smith knew, because it meant that the Bible's place as the word of God, or the only word of God, had been compromised. Listen to this contemporary account of Smith's moment of discovery. Smith took the tablet and began to read over the lines which the conservator, who had cleaned the tablet, had brought to light. And when he saw that they contained the portion of the legend that he'd hoped to find there, he said, 
I am the first man to read that after 2,000 years of oblivion. And setting the tablet on the table, he jumped up and rushed about the room in a great state of excitement and to the astonishment of those present, began to undress himself. <laughs> now I know you're excited, but don't. <laughs> this was a remarkable thing to do in the Victorian era, but it did mark a truly remarkable discovery, one that was to disturb contemporary society just as much as Darwin's on the origin of species. And I think that just gives us so much to think about that I'd better be quiet now. We're going to listen to some music and then we'll go into a time of spoken meditation and then a shared silence together. May these words lead us into a time for sharing silence. Silence within which we may feel gratitude for the space to give voice to words. The space to hear words. What is the word of God? Humankind is. Humankind and the vast and illimitable universe of stars beyond our sight. Humankind and our cousins, animal and plant. These are the word of God. No Bible is as eloquent as these. And yet, 
Each great religion has produced its Bible. With its first faint whispering of humankind's awakening to the mystery of the great beyond. These are humankind's words. As humankind itself and the vast range of nature are God's words. Beyond all words, the mystery of life and being speaks to us, pours forth its revelation, whether any people are there to hear or not. Not in words alone, but all the wealth of sound and sight and feeling floods over us with a truth we never do quite catch. The poets tell us of it where the theologians fail. A Beethoven or Bach opens new vistas to the human spirit. Each of the arts and sciences opens to us new visions of the mystery beyond ourselves. Whatever awakens us to some new facet of beauty, truth, or love beyond ourselves. This is the poetry of God.
This, this service is being held to honour our congregation's book group, which has its 100th meeting the week after next. Um, and you still, I think, have time to read the book if you rush out immediately and purchase it. Uh, Richard Holloway's uh, autobiography, Leaving Alexandria. And if you've not had a chance to read this month's newsletter, I, I recommend the sections where people choose their favourite books out of the, the hundred that we've read so far. This morning we, we thought about the history of writing, spanning back 5,000 years to those early beginnings when the epic of Gilgamesh was at last written down to become what is considered to be the very first literary work ever. The, the British Library now holds about 14 million books, and that's just books, and that's primary, primarily just books published here in the UK. That is an overwhelming number, isn't it? And I haven't even read all the uh, 100 book group titles yet. And writing, of course, is not just about books. For most of us, use writing all the time in our shopping lists and our lists of things to do. Some people actually still write letters and cards and put them in a post box. And some of us really appreciate receiving them. And then, of course, we write text messages and emails. And some of us write diaries and journals to record our lives and our thoughts. We write shopping lists and little notes to ourselves so we don't forget something vital. And then we lose the little piece of paper. We use writing to shape or to help shape our relationship with ourselves and with the word all around us. Because writing, I think, allows us to make sense of our world. Be that through a simple list of what to buy next when we go to the shops or through a really quite deep process of writing of our inner world, our dreams perhaps, our spiritual musings. And writing, of course, is not always a positive thing. Nasruddin's philosophical friend writing stupid oath on his door is a fairly mild example of the hurt that writing can cause us. I wonder now just what memories that evokes in you of perhaps a wounding email received or a letter. And if you have ever received something wounding in writing, well, you'll know that that old adage of sticks and stones breaking bones but words never hurting us is, is so very far from the truth. No, words can bring great pain. And words, when the words are written down... Well, isn't there such a temptation to keep returning to them, to read them once more, to mull over them, trying to understand? Perhaps that is why I find a particular line in John's Gospel so very intriguing. You'll perhaps recognize it. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Older translations of the Bible describe him as writing in the sand, and the implication there is that whatever he has written can be wiped away. And yet the message, whatever the message was, has been delivered to those who need to hear it. This is the story, you perhaps remember, of the woman about to be stoned to death for adultery. 
The scribes and the Pharisees are there testing Jesus, trying to trick him, to force him to say yea or nay to the teachings of the Mosaic law, which would condemn any woman caught in the act of adultery to be stoned to death. And Jesus leans down and writes in the sand and then invites anyone who is without sin to cast that first stone. And then once again, he writes in the sand and the crowd melts away one by one, leaving Jesus alone with the woman whose life he saved that day. We'll never know what he wrote. And with that unknowing, let us leave this celebration of the gift that is writing. But I wonder what private message you might write to yourself in the sand. Amen. Each and every day, we are writing the stories of our lives by the way we treat ourselves and others and in the way that we respond to life itself. Much of life's narrative is simply presented to us and we cannot all be brilliant authors of bestsellers. But we can be ourselves and we can support others in being themselves and we can help each other along the way. And so, may this be so for the greater good of all. Amen. Go well and blessed be.